You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Rather than kick off the show with uh, White Sox talk, why don't, why don't we kick off the show with more exciting things, like the fact that we're in our last week, this week, of a complete season of fantasy baseball. I have won four of the last six years, the championship. Ed has won two of the last six years. So over the last six years, only two guys in this 10-team league have won the title. And as we enter the final week, there is a scenario where any one of the top four teams can win the pennant, go directly to to the World Series of our league, which is three weeks worth of games, best two out of three, and avoid the rest of the playoffs. And, and I'm already laughing at the possibility that me sitting in third place, if I can outscore the second place team by nine points this week, but that second place team beats you, my friend, head to head, I leapfrog from third to first and I win the pennant. That, I mean, like, I wish I could take all of our audience and bring them into this league because of the the alternative is watching the White Sox probably lose 100 games. Yeah, I would much rather sit here and take my chances that the team I've put together, which, by the way, is a complete roster with depth and solid starting pitching and good relievers and, uh, you know, good players at all levels with no real holes in it. It's a dynasty league with minors. Like, you have a very nice farm system you put together. I do have a very nice farm system. I put as as you have had a very good farm system as well. Right. This is why you win consistently. It's it's shocking. It even works in fantasy baseball. It's kind of like if you pay a little bit of attention to scouting reports and read up on players and other organizations. Besides the White Sox, you can find talent out there and sort of build up a roster and figure out who might be worth keeping around and who might be worth jettisoning because they're not going to do you any good or because. You know, you you don't need them for something because you you got somebody there already. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that qualifies me to be the general manager of a major league baseball team, but sometimes it feels like it when you're in this position where you're, you're in the hunt for a pennant in fantasy baseball and you're looking at you know winning multiple championships over the past few years. That's something White Sox fans would love to be a part of, and and I completely understand it. I, you know, all you have to do this weekend or this week as the week starts off coming out of a weekend where the White Sox got swept by the Brewers. Now when you look at the MLB standings and you look at the White Sox, look at how many games are left. Just do a little math, right? Look at the amount of games that are left. Look at the win percentage up to this point, And then just kind of extrapolate that out for the rest of the year. We're looking at a team with anywhere between 99 and 101 losses. We're looking at a possible, real possibility of a hundred loss season. And I don't understand how anybody survives if this team has a hundred loss season. They have to play well over 500 at this point just to win 70 games. I don't understand how anybody can even entertain the idea that you would keep around this front office, that you would keep Pedro around, that you would keep some of these aging veterans around that I still don't understand why they're on the team. I don't understand how anybody can look at that result, which now seems to be just as Thanos was inevitable. I I just don't see how anybody can sit there and make the argument that you keep anything around that caused this over the last 5, 10, 20 years. 
No, well, and, and that goes really for a lot of the players. I mean, you're talking about having a core of players here, too. you got Rick Hahn out there saying that they intend to compete next year. Well, that's great. I intend to do a lot of things in 2024, but it doesn't mean any of them are going to happen. Right? I intend to randomly bump into Kate Beckinsale, who just seems to date anyone, and then she steals me away from my wife. It's not going to happen, but I can intend it. You intend for that to happen. I, I intend to become fabulously wealthy in 2024. I don't see it happening, <laughs> but that's always my intention. I intend to be physically fit. No, no, no. I'm going to be my optimal weight. I'm going to carry a ton of muscle next year. I'm going to be in the best shape of my life by the time I turn 47. I can intend it all I want to. If I said it out loud to somebody who knows me and sees how much beer I drink and and the fact that it's all craft beer and I can't stop having bourbon once a week because I enjoy the taste of it and that there's just something about when you're grilling food that makes me want to have three cheeseburgers, anybody that knows me would laugh at my intent because it's not reasonable. Right. I mean, and like, and that's the thing. That's why I think that most reasonable people just kind of giggle at this point when they announce their intent. Now, on the other hand, you can have intent of having the best pregame experience. And I would believe you. All you would have to do is tell me that you're heading to Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. You can tell me you intend to drink from the incredible array of craft beers and familiar favorites, you want to have some spirits or wines from that big, beautiful bar. You want to get a nice seat indoors or outdoors with the friendly staff, and you want to eat an award-winning burger, of which there is a large array of. And I would say if you're going to Cork, I believe your intent. I believe I believe the intent to eat three cheeseburgers there, too, actually. Yeah, exactly. And if you're going someplace else, I would say, well, maybe you're you're crazy, like, like Rick Hahn is. Why is Yasmani Grandal and Elvis Andrus, and some of these other guys still on the team. And, and I'm, I want to preface this question with my understanding that some people are going to say, well, you can't just fill up a team with a bunch of young guys who don't know how to play. Like, I make this argument with people, I've made it over the years, when you talk about a, a rebuilding team, right? Well, you, you got to have a few guys that are veterans around to be the glue. But clearly, there was no glue in that clubhouse after what we've learned, Right. There clearly wasn't any glue. So I don't know what their purpose is on the team. Sure, Elvis might get a walk-off, a base hit every once in a while. There might be a good play made by Yasmani Grandal every once in a while. But it's the difference between 100 losses and 97. And, 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 and does it help with your development of these multiple AAA catchers, several of which you could make the argument are probably ready right now to come up and get regular at-bats, that figure more into 2024 and definitely 25, which I believe is a contending year realistically if the right people are in charge and they do the right things with this team. You can turn this around very quickly and be a competitive team in 25, but I just don't understand why you're blocking those guys and I don't understand why Lenin Sosa or somebody else isn't up here playing middle infield. You're not going to find a good answer because let, let's take Yaz to start off with and, and sit there and say, well, he's right now going to be able to show Carlos Perez or Lee or whoever they bring up catcher wise, how to frame better or how to handle this particular pitching staff. Well, first of all, this particular pitching staff at this point beyond, I would say Santos and cease and probably Kopech because he's, you got to have somebody. I don't know that I I would necessarily count on this per particular pitching staff being the one that takes you to the promised land because it's a lot of guys that I think need to go. 
And yes, maybe showing Carlos Perez something. And maybe when Sebi Zavala, if he's, if he's not hurt, maybe you do see Asmani Grandal DFA'd. But to your point about, you know, having this veteran leadership, is Yasmani Grandal really taking Carlos Perez under his wing? I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's that kind of a guy. Is he showing him stuff that is going to be useful? Maybe he is. Maybe he's that kind of a guy. Are you as a baseball team and an organization supposed to have coaches and supposed to have people built into the system to show a young catcher how to be a good catcher in the major leagues? without having to rely on a veteran that you were clearly going to be moving on from. And that some people believe was one of the problems. It just depends on who you listen to. If you you listen to the guys that left the team, he is not squeaky clean and somebody that everybody says, oh yeah, well, he's a good dude and he's going to teach guys what to do and how to do things the right way and work well with the pitching staff. There are several who would dispute that based upon the reports over the last couple of weeks. Exactly. And and, and so what what are you gaining by having him in the lineup at all? And then Elvis Andrews is an even more confounding one because maybe he's there to show guys how to be professional or something like that. But I'm sorry, this is also not a team full of young rookies. Andrew Vaughn, your team leader. Team leader Andrew Vaughn. Print the shirts. Andrew Vaughn has been up in the majors now for a couple of seasons. He probably has a decent idea of what it takes to be a major leaguer, at least in terms of how to act professional, how to act in the locker room, whatever. If that's what he is, if he really is your team leader... Elvis Andrews becomes a spare part. And to the extent that Tim Anderson is still here and a guy that you are going to have at least one more season with. Maybe, maybe you have one more season with him. Andrew Benintendi is here. He is a guy that has been on a major league roster for a very long time. Eloy Jimenez has been in a majors for a couple of years. You had a, you had a, a leadership void all season. This is, this is what's been discussed very, very recently. And yet we're sitting there saying Trace Thompson is getting at bats. It doesn't and, make any sense. Of, of all the guys, of all the guys, honestly, <laughs> that are sitting here that are mystery veterans on this squad, Trace Thompson and any pitchers that are just filling innings at this point are the guys that I'm sitting there going like, I'll cut him that. Because at least Trace Thompson came from the Dodgers where they know how to do things. Listen, listen, I, I look at some of these guys that are currently on the roster. I look at Elvis Andros and I go, I don't see any future with him. I don't see a future with Grandal. No. Although maybe their intention is that now, since nobody wanted him, they believe they can get him at a good price in the offseason. I mean, is, like, is that, uh, is that the belief? Is, is, is the belief that they can get him at a reduced price in the offseason? And so they're like, well, maybe he'll actually be a part of things. Again, we talked about different camps that it seems clear within the clubhouse, and, and he does feel like a guy who's in a camp and probably a camp that Rick Hahn likes in that, in that group. Now he may be gone as well. So it's very, very weird. A a guy that I don't understand anymore. And I I just can't imagine him being on your team next year is Gavin sheets. Like what has this guy done? And the same thing can be said for Sebi Zavala. We've got a lot of fat that can be trimmed off of this roster. I mean, how, how many, how many more at bats do you think that Gavin sheets needs? He's had 757 at bats. He's produced a negative 0.08 wins above replacement B war, according to baseball reference with an OPS plus that is below the average. He's not doing anything particularly well, especially defensively. And the only thing that he has going for him is that when he steps up to the plate, he hits from the left side instead of the right. And this is why when people say compete in 2024, I giggle because I'm like, well, you've got a lot of things you need to fix right now. And wouldn't it be great if you you got to see some other guys that might be in your system right now and just get them at bats. I don't care where you find the at bats. Just get some at bats for the young guys, because some of these guys that are still floating around this major league roster, again, 
all they really are going to determine is whether or not you end up with 95 losses or 100. And to me, it shouldn't matter if it's 95 or 100. You really should kind of be hoping that it's a higher amount of losses so you get a better draft pick. Well, for, for all, all the good that that's going to do. Right. It's not, and it ain't even going to do very much good for you if you got the wrong people making the picks. So, I mean, like to yeah. me, use the guys that you're trying to develop and, and, and get some of these guys that you're like, you know what? I don't want to hear somebody needs time to adjust to the majors next year in 24. Like, oh, he's young and he's adjusting and you have to be patient and wait for him to get 200 or 300 bats under his belt when you could be doing that for him right now. And that's going to be the maddening thing. The maddening thing is when all of a sudden Lenin Sosa or somebody else who's down in the minors right now gets up here in the majors next year and they're preaching, well, you need to be patient because he's got to figure out where, you know, being in the major leagues. And your first question should be, well, then where the hell was he in August and September of last year? Socks in the Basement listeners switch to a new age of life with Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. Keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living. Make it so that they can get around on their own and live independently. Everything from stair lifts to ramps to grab bars, lift chairs, and even bathroom remodeling. They're going to work with your insurance. They have 0% financing for qualified individuals. And if you mention Socks in the Basement, you get an additional discount. If you use a CPAP machine, I know lots of people who do that. And, you know, based upon my family history, I'm sure at some point I'll be hooked up to one and I'll sound like Darth Vader. Although the newest stuff, and I've seen it in their showroom, they have testing rooms there, are much quieter and much smaller than those old uh, CPAP machines. If you're using one, maybe it's time to upgrade. They also have the latest in continuous glucose monitors. Learn all about what they do at hhme.com or stop in and see them today at 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Ed, there was an article concerning Jerry Reinsdorf in the Sun-Times. Since last we spoke. Proof of life? Was it just him holding up a copy of the Sun-Times showing that he's he is real? That it wasn't a hologram that didn't have time for the media the other day? No, it was Sneed. Michael Sneed. She's been writing forever. I imagine like an old woman with a stogie in the back of the newsroom at this point. Because she's been writing since I was a teenager, I believe, for the for this paper. Oh, yeah, she is. Yes. <laughs> like uh, very much so. Like she's, she, I imagine a raspy voice. I, I'm sorry, but she's probably a wonderful woman. But I just imagine like, hey, kid, I got a scoop for you. Like that's- I, I don't know if your impression of her or the description is really accurate. But to the extent that she has been a Chicago media person, a personality for for decades is undisputed. Oh, okay. hold on a second. If I click on it on, on sometimes.com, I got a picture. Okay. The, the picture is different from what I imagined. I'm sorry, Michael. Anyway, she gives a, a she gets an interview with Jerry Reinsdorf. And if you've ever read a Sneed column, she kind of breaks the fourth wall multiple times throughout like her her article. She'll start writing notes She'll throw her thoughts in there after the question, like why she asked the question. She'll do things like, I bet this will happen. This is my take on it. And she'll put together a very short, quick article on somebody. So the article was Reinstorf talking about Rocky Wirtz because these two are billionaires and they're friends. Billionaires that share a, a stadium. Yeah, they, they, they share they share media and stadium. They, 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 basically, they share ways you can watch the White Sox, Blackhawks and Bulls. Right, and Reinsdorf was the majority owner when it came to NBC Sports and still remains that. But they, they they shared all this stuff, so of course they got to know each other and became friends. And Rocky passes away, and Rocky was a far more successful owner. But anyway, uh, Jerry's trying, wants to just talk about Rocky. 
And Snead is asking about the White Sox. And again, he's refusing to talk about the White Sox, which is typical. Now, I do have my my personal journalistic thoughts and and the fact that I, as a radio person, was told before by people, you can have this interview, but this is off limits. And every single time that was told to me, I would just say, then I refuse the interview. I would never let anybody write a question for me, and I would never let anybody tell me I wasn't allowed to ask something at any point in the career that I had around the country doing broadcasting a long time ago. But obviously, it was really important to get Reinstorf's thoughts on Rocky Wirtz, so she wasn't able to ask the question she wanted to ask. On the other hand, at the bottom, Sneed's bet, I want to read this, she puts this in there, Sneed's bet, when the baseball season is finally over, Reinstorf, a man of few words, who is known for talking to lots of people before he makes a decision, will have a lot to say. There is a possibility that off the record, he told her he's going to talk. And 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 she's she could be conveying that by saying he talks to lots of people before he makes a decision. He just wasn't going to put anything on the record. If that's what's going to happen, people are getting fired because there's no way that Jerry Reinsdorf steps in front of a microphone or allows himself to answer questions if all he's going to be doing is defending these people still being employed. I just don't see it happening. So if if that is what the rumbling is, if that throwaway line at the end of this article that's really about Jerry and Rocky, if that line, if the Sneed's bet, if the breaking the fourth wall prediction that she throws in there, it can, it can be interpreted at face value. And he really is going to speak up at the end of the year. I would think something's changing. Yeah, it, it, it also really, as you as you're saying it, it makes sense because if Jerry is going to speak, he is going to want to do it all at one time and say, here's why we're making the change. Here's what the change is being made to. Are there any questions? No, goodbye. Right. He's going to want to sit there and say, I'm disappointed in what has happened with the, with the White Sox. I felt it was time to move on from Rick Hahn, And here is who I am bringing in to fix this. Uh, you know, go White Sox or whatever, you know, however he's going to end the thing. But it's going to be quick. It's going to be controlled. It is going to be a complete thing where he's not going to have to set foot in front of the media again unless it's something good. Right. So, that does make sense too. And and she could be the type that Jerry is sitting there going, look, I trust you and I trust a handful of other journalists in this town to do things the right way. And it's going to be something that's probably not going to be done in a wide open press conference where all the beat writers are going to get a chance to him. It's going to be a written statement or it's going to be an interview that's an exclusive or something like that. It'll be Bob going Nightingale. To explain it. It'll be Bob Nightingale, which is funny. I'm because sure. When I made that comment last week, on the last episode of Socks in the Basement, the only blowback I got are people saying that they didn't agree with me say, with me characterizing, why wouldn't you ask the follow-up question, well, if you won't talk to us, when will you, right? And, and, and I got people who said, well, they have to have a good relationship with him so they can get a scoop. But the local media never gets a scoop. It's the national guys that get the scoop. The guys that are there at the buffet never get the scoop, right? Like, how often do they break something before Bob Nightingale gets it? Or one of these other guys. So, I mean, like, that's what will happen. You're right. He'll just release a statement. I don't think he gets in front of everybody. Yeah, and and it's it's never really been his way. I mean, I, I'm trying to, I'm really straining to think the last time I saw Jerry Reinsdorf in a press conference style meeting with the media. Well, after I, he I won the World Series. After he won the World Series, he wanted to talk to everybody. I, that's that's really what I'm thinking. It's, it's after championships for... And so 2005 being the last Reinsdorf team-owned championship, because the Bulls certainly haven't come close since the 90s, it, it's that type of thing. So, so if things are going well, 
you might see him. I, you could see him, for example, if he brings in uh, a, a, a new president of baseball operations and a, and a completely new front office. You might see him at the introductory press conference because it's a happy moment, right? But in terms of making the announcement and in terms of him exposing himself to a recap of what this season was, what the disappointment in this rebuild was, what, you know, the the whole thing really since 2005 has been, okay, you're not going to see him. I do believe that. I do believe that he will talk at some point in the offseason, but don't expect a Sox fest where he's going to sit there and field questions from fans. And, and don't expect and don't expect the guys at the buffet to get shots at him. Don't don't expect the Sox fest. Period. I really doubt that that's, that's going to happen. Don't expect that. Don't expect the thing that I heard about for years where they were going to do podcast row. I remember they threw that out there to a bunch of podcasters a few years back. We're going to have Sox fest and we're going to let all the podcasters come in. Not a chance. Oh, I remember you talking about not that. a yeah. chance. Do you think that they would let us have a chance to ask questions of some of these people? Not a chance. Or they no, if they do it, no. it won't if they do it, it won't be people like us. They're not gonna they're not letting Lanuti and, and Siebert in there. That ain't that ain't happening. No, the no. There'll be a handful <laughs> of podcasts, but none of the ones anybody listens to. <laughs> Hailstorm Brewing Company has lunch. Uh, along with really great beer. Uh, Their kitchen is open now, 11 a.m. for lunch, Tuesday through Sunday. The smoked wings are great. I just had them recently. I was out there. Uh, There's a game night that they're starting to have. You see families in there, and they bring out a bunch of board games, and you get other people. Adults are over there playing because it's a big beer hall. So you sit at the big, long tables. You make some friends. You play some board games or some more complicated ones they have set up. There's different games at different tables. They had a really good crowd for it. We just happened to pop in because we were out in the area, and I said, well, let's grab some food before we head back. And and I got the smoked wings, Ed, and it was the first time I didn't get any sauce on them because I was, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm trying to watch the old uh, calories, watch the waste. You've, you've got that intent to be yeah. in incredible shape. And I shape intend in to be in incredible way. shape and meet Kate Beckinsale. Uh, but but other than that, I just wanted to, to cut down a little bit on the carbs. So I got the smoked wings without any sauce on them. They're still spectacular. It's it, it, They're just so well done. All of the things on their menu are great. And the beers are awesome. The Dominatrix is still one of my favorites all across Chicagoland. And they have so many different ales on there. I just saw Take Me to Your Leader is up their Oktoberfest that they debuted last year under Will Turner, their new brewer, is back again. It is one of the top Oktoberfest in the entire area. So if you're ready for Oktoberfest season or you want a good meal or to try a great beer, get on out there. Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. See more at hailstormbrewing.com. So CBS Sports uh, publishes an article, and they're talking about the AL Central being the worst division in baseball by, by like a mile and a half, the worst division in baseball. And one of the things that they said, now they're pointing out that there's some limitations because you have some small market teams there where Minnesota and Cleveland and uh, Kansas city are, are smaller markets. They got that disadvantage and they're kind of making fun of the white Sox for acting that way, even though third biggest market. But one of the things I thought was interesting was that they pointed out None of the teams are really pushing each other to get better. The way, for example, in the AL West, you have to chase the Dodgers. All the teams in the AL East are, are constantly in, in competition with each other to the point where you know you, you really don't know going into a season which one of those teams is going to come out on top. And especially now that the Orioles actually have some talent, it gets even you know harder to predict that. But they're saying the AL Central is just this collection of depressing mediocrity that you know, you can win this division. It's possible that the Twins will win the division without 
being over 500 this year. My thought was, is everybody in the AL Central just thinking like Jerry was, you know, we were told that Jerry Reinsdorf said, always just shoot for finishing second. Like, do we have just a bunch of teams that are trying to finish behind each other? At minimum, when I read that article, because I read it too, it struck me that the White Sox should be winning the division every year. That they have, they're the only big market team. They should have the infrastructure and the money and the ability to win every single year, to be the odds-on favorite every year because the other four teams, if they got into a spending battle, couldn't keep up with them. At its core, I think that's very obvious. On the other hand, if I wanted to be devious or dastardly or, 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 or think worse of people and put the tinfoil hat on, I would say there's collusion in the American League Central. That, that Jerry Reinsdorf and the rest of those guys understand that if they all just play crappy, they'll keep all, everybody in that division, all those fan bases together. The smaller market teams would totally agree to something along those lines, and Jerry would continue to make money the way that he makes money and go by the mantra of give him a carrot, just, you know, as long as you're in second place, don't give him the whole thing, and we'll just continue to keep him interested. That's the tinfoil hat in me would say that that was possible. And I know it's impossible to believe that a bunch of billionaires could go to their private billionaire island and hatch some kind of plan like that and never get caught. But it is it is shocking to me that Major League Baseball allows the American League Central to be so bad. Then I remember that Major League Baseball used to have a commissioner, and that commissioner used to work independently of the owners. In fact, that was the whole idea behind the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Things had gotten so bad that the owners had to go get a commissioner of baseball, and Kennesaw Mountain Landis insisted on total and complete power and a lifetime appointment so that the owners couldn't stop him from making sure everything was fair. And it remained that way until A. Bartlett Giamatti died in 1989. Yeah. And then you get a consortium of owners, led by Jerry Reinsdorf, by the way, who decided to put an owner in Bud Selig into the role. And the role never was the same again. And now the owners run the whole league. It's just like the NFL. I mean, the commissioner is a figurehead. That's, that's what it is. And they got back to that. And that's why it's allowed to happen. It's allowed to happen because nobody's going to go tell these billionaires how to make their money. Nobody's going to go tell these billionaires how to go spend their money. Like, that's the thing. I don't know if it exists with a strong commissioner the way it was when I was a little kid or in the days of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, when when the commissioner position was invented coming out of the 1919 Black Sox scandal to prevent corruption. Well, you don't have a commissioner that's there anymore with the autonomy to be able to prevent corruption. And so corruption will exist. So I look at the American League Central and I say, of course. I mean, look at this. This is crazy, right? The White Sox should always win. And instead, what we have is we have a division that couldn't compete in any of the other divisions in baseball. And that just can't be a coincidence, right? So to me, I look at it and I say, I I smell something fishy, and it probably is. We just have a group of owners that have all basically said, we're just not going to move. It's the speed of everybody else, but we're all going to make lots of money. The tinfoil hat in me can see that possibility, right? Because I just don't trust the rich. And I just, I just don't see it. I, I, to me, it's just crazy to me that you, you have a division that doesn't operate like the other five divisions. And all it took was four small market teams and a guy who has a big market team operating like a small market team. And it just happens to be the guy 
that wasn't the original guy who was going to buy the White Sox. No, it was going to be the guy that ended up buying the 49ers and gave him all those championships. But the Major League Baseball owners didn't want that guy because he was going to drive up all of the, the, the salaries. He was Cohen 40 years before him with the Mets. And so instead, Bartolo ends up buying an NFL team and Bud Selig's buddy gets the White Sox. And you don't see him increasing payroll. They got the exact opposite of Bartolo, who was going to go get the, the White Sox 40 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at the big picture, it's a thing that nobody talks about. I mean, it would be great if investigative journalists like opened up the books, pulled out all the interviews and said, this is how this guy got the team 40 years ago. And then this is how he's paid back the guys who gave him the team over the years by driving prices down, being the spearhead of the lockout in 94, helping his buddy become commissioner and changing the way that everything happened in baseball. It'd be great if they did that, but he doesn't answer questions and nobody presses him. Right? Right. And the end result for White Sox fans is we sit here and we constantly are looking up at a Twins franchise that has broken through, what, twice in the in the 40 years? And, and both of those times kind of by luck. A Guardians franchise that's broken through a couple of times in the past 40 years, those were largely by, you know, catching lightning in a bottle, young talent type of a thing. And we've watched in that time frame the Tigers, owned by the Illich family, who, kind of like Jerry, they got a lot of money from other things, but they don't spend like it. You know, it, it, and then the Royals, who, again, they got lucky a few times as well. But that's even just in the current era. Go back. I would love to go back, too, and look at how the, the landscape of the old AL West with the White Sox, right? How, how that looked before we had the division realignment. And you kind of sit there and you wonder and, and you start to watch, are the small market teams that are attempting to compete, are the guys that try and do this the right way, the Tampa Bay Rays of, the, of baseball, are they doing it because there is an owner in their division or two owners in their division who understand who have a fan base that sort of demands that they spend money and demands that they compete every year. And I mean, really compete. I don't mean try and finish second. I don't mean put together a team that is capable of winning 80 games and, and hoping that they get, you know, about a, a 10 to 12 game bump over the course of the season to do something more interesting. I'm talking about a, an owner that really wants to put something there because that's what their fans demand. If that's the case, then you know what I would I would want to do if I were running Major League Baseball, if I if the commissioner's office would come back, I would vote for realignment of divisions yes. based on ownership groups. And you would have you would have first-tier owners and then you'd have second-tier owners and the second-tier owners would have to they'd have to compete otherwise they get relegated or they lose their teams. Who drives the East? Who drives the American League East? But the Yankees and the Red Sox. It forces everybody yeah. else in there to operate the way that they have to operate. Otherwise, the Orioles... And their fan bases won't put up with this right. stuff. The Orioles would have never done anything to even get close to becoming the team that they are, and the Rays wouldn't operate the way that they are as a small market team that knows that they have to win if it weren't for the Yankees and the Red Sox. In the American League West, once the Astros moved over there and you had them and the Rangers going at it, that was it. The West became a better division. You had those two driving the American League West. When I look into the NL East, the Braves have always driven it. And the Mets have had to drive it because they have to compete in the same city as the Yankees. And and you and you actually have seen Philadelphia over the years recently start to try to drive things. And St. Louis just 
doesn't give up on trying to win every single year in the NL Central. So they push. And the Dodgers and the Giants are always pushing in the NL West. There's no pushing team in the American League Central. I would contend that you have you have enough owners in there that all realize that the other one's not going to do it. They all know that the gun on their hip is empty and they don't intend to draw it. So nobody does anything because nothing forces them to do it. You're right. I would be a huge fan of realignment because realignment would force better decision-making within the Chicago White Sox. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.